Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 131 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I am Anthony. And I am Michael. And we are happy to be back for week two of the quarterfinals of the Beers and Bible Big Box Bash Bonanza of beer. At some point, we'll figure out what we're calling this thing. (laughs) I'm just going to keep adding as many Bs as, as possible. Because the more bees it has in it, the better it's going to be. If you say so. <laughs> I think. All right. So last week we had uh, the Modelo making it through against the Voodoo Ranger IPA. Narrowly squeaking out the win. Yeah, it was. <laughs> listen, I, I was just telling Anthony, I've had some of the Modellos in the past week. Um, mm-hmm. Now that they've been in my fridge and have gotten cold, they're not that good. <laughs> Not, not much better. <laughs> not much better cold than they were last week. So, uh, but tonight, week two, uh, quarterfinal. Is it quarterfinal? I guess it would be quarterfinal. Yeah. Uh, number matchup number two is the Guinness Draught Stout versus the Angry Orchard uh, Hard Cider. And before you come at us, um, yes, we're aware the Angry Orchard's not beer, but it was on the list, and we put it on hey, our thing. It- it's on the list, and y'all picked it. You so did. It don't come it, at it, us. <laughs> it made it through the first round, so the, the the voting round. So, um, Anthony, I am going to suggest that we do the Guinness first. I'm cool with that. Listen. Can you hear that shaking around in my can? Yeah. There's something in my can. All four of them have that. Well, I'll... Yeah, that's weird. Um... <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's not in my bottle that I'm aware of. Is this whole thing a label? What the? (laughs) Listen, hey, I have not been friendly to Guinness on this podcast. But the bottles in the cans look sharp. Yes, the artwork for Guinness is second to none. Mm -hmm. They are, I mean, their high-paid art guy is amazing. Yeah, sure is. But I don't know if their brewer is any good. So let's... uh, (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Guinness. That was it's, we're just not fans of of. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge fan of stouts in general. I think we've covered that at length. Anthony, I don't think is either. But here I we like are. It. There, there, there are some stouts that have grown on me, and I can handle stouts more now than I used to. So there's that. That's fair. So, but yeah, well, let's start with the the Guinness Drought. I'm I'm interested to see what this thing is floating around in my can, and uh, we'll get week two underway. Let's roll. Here we go. Three, two, one. Crap. Oh, God. (laughs) 
What happened? Apparently that was some kind of like nitro booster thing. Because <laughs> that thing was, of course, it probably didn't help that I just sat here and shook it for yeah, like two minutes. <laughs> that, that probably had more to do with what just happened for you. So I'm pouring mine into a, a frosted glass. I don't think this glass is going to hold this whole beer, though. So this is going to be a little awkward. Oh, I went and got uh, my 16-ounce oh. mug. I was mistaken. There was less beer or more glass than I thought there was. So whatever this thing is, it's not coming out. But I look, look. I love that. The way that the foam falls to the bottom instead of rising to the top. See, I love that. See, mine's not doing that because I didn't shake mine up, I guess. But you should cut that can open and see what that is. I'm, I've got three more, so I'm totally going to do that. Okay, this smells actually a little bit better than I remember. It just, that, that didn't really help me at all. So apparently the, uh, the drought, drought, stout is like all the rage in Ireland. It's, they, they call it Ireland's, they, what did I look up the other day? It was called Guinness Stout. Okay, so I messed up. What'd you buy? No, I mean, I got the right thing, but the bottle says enjoy chilled straight from the bottle, and I poured mine in a glass. See, mine says best enjoyed poured into a glass is actually what mine says on the can. That's so weird. So I'm going to wonder if that's. I'm going to have to drink one from the bottle, I guess, to get a. See if it's any different. But I'm going to drink this one from a. The iconic Irish stout is what this is called. Okay. So now now mine looks normal like yours does. All right. Well, let's see here. Uh, I'm looking for like ABV and stuff on here. Uh, brewed in Ireland. Brewers of distinction since 1759 is what this bottle says. I just want to know what this thing is down in my can. What is the purpose of it? Is it some kind of like... It's probably... It's a. It, you know what? It doesn't matter. We're going to drink the beer and see what, see what we, see what we <laughs> True think. True that. True that. So. Well, let's bottoms up this Guinness and see how we like it. Good luck, Guinness. <laughs> bottoms up. Okay, that's surprisingly better than I thought it was going to be. That's funny because mine's surprisingly worse. Really? Maybe because I shook mine. <laughs> But I think that's what you're supposed to like. So anytime you see a stout being poured, it it has that that foam falling to the bottom. Like that's supposed to be the way it's done. Hmm. So I don't think mine did wrong. Mine just it tastes bland. Really? That's what. Yeah. It's definitely not motor oil. Like I it is. Keep saying. It is surprisingly like like it's very dark, but it's not heavy. Yeah, like, it's not it's, heavy at it's, all. It's light in that it's not like sticking with you like the way some stouts like you take a sip and it hangs and you can't yeah. get rid of it. Just go get a knife and cut that thing open. <laughs> it's a little ball. Is what it, it's like a little plastic ball that's in a paint can. Okay, so someone again is trying to kill you. <laughs> is what that means. <laughs> 
some Mine Irish, is some Irish guy going, "Look, I'm going to get this dumb American." <laughs> <laughs> he did a good job. This is surprisingly really good, dude. I'm not I'm not disappointed in this at all. And I'm like like I said, I'm not a huge fan of stouts. Uh, and I I'm coming in with a bit of uh Bias, I think Angry Orchard is the best beer left in the whole thing. Um, but I, I don't know, man. This is pretty. This is good. It, so it, I'll say it, it, it's good. It, it is. It's good. It tastes like I'm trying to put a flavor onto it. Like it almost tastes like just plain black coffee to me. Hmm. But mine tastes like watered down plain black coffee. Which, to be fair, I like plain black coffee. See, I'm not a huge fan of black coffee, but I see what you're saying. Like, I totally get it. Yeah. The texture is not what I remember. Of course, I mean, it's been it's been every bit of... I probably drank Guinness when I was 21 or 22 years old, and that was the last time I drank it. It's been almost 20 years. Yeah. And so, it is, it is much lighter than I had convinced my... And I mean, I don't know. Maybe when I was just starting to drink beer and I was... Uh, had the palate of a 21-year-old. I just thought things differently back then, mm-hmm. which is entirely possible. But this is not nearly as heavy as I remembered. Yeah. And the flavor, I don't know, I, I guess the thing that gets me is the flavor. The flavor is just not, like when I think of a stout, I think of something that is at least rich-bodied flavor, and this one doesn't seem to have that for me. Hmm. But everything else is good. Yeah. I'm I'm actually, I'm going to say it. I think that, because... I know we've talked a lot of crap about Guinness over 130-something episodes, but <laughs> I don't think I'd ever had it until just a few minutes ago. And it's much better than I anticipated it being. So, question. Did you already pour out your Voodoo Ranger IPAs from last week? No, but it's on my list of things to do. <laughs> I still have five in my in my refrigerator, and I'm like, I am not going to drink those. I have had more Modellos than I've had Voodoo Ranger. I actually, so remember the Bridge to Nowhere IPA? Yes. I think I still have all of those. I you, should, you should just pour all of them down your toilet. Yeah. <sighs> we'll see. At so, one time. Okay, so. Beers and Bible is going to go live pouring beer down the toilet. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> that would not be good. Okay, so no, Guinness, it would not. Guinness, I'm surprised um, if I were going to give it a Luther rating, um, I would, dude, I'd think I'd have to go all the way to four based on my you're, experience. Yeah, you're nicer than me. I'm I'm only giving this three and a half. Okay, well, we're in the same region. Um, yeah. But it's re- surprisingly smooth, very light. Um, to me, it has a good bit of like dark flavor. Mm-hmm. Um Without being like motor oily dark, if that yeah. makes sense. I wonder. I wonder if this just the way that the Irish brew. Because oh oh, dude, mine says nitrogenated for smoothness. Mine does. Too. I wonder if that's what. The, oh, it does okay. And I, I, don't ha- I don't have the ball in my in the bottle, so you don't have somebody trying to kill you. No, but it. I mean the everything about it is is surprising. The bottle is. The packaging is fantastic. The logo looks great. Uh, the the product, the beer is 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 really good, much yeah. better than I anticipated. Um, I have no qualms about having five more in my fridge. Good for you. 
None at all. So, um, but I'm going to give it four Luthers. Um, mainly, I think it's mostly a shock thing for me. Yeah, that's that's where I'm going to land. All right. Well, we've got the the Guinness Stout hanging out at four for Michael, three and a half for me, and now we're going to move on to the Angry Orchard. And I've got to get my bottle opener. All right, so we are uh, drinking the Angry Orchard Crisp Apple Hard Cider. So I, I think right. that's their just original one. Um, it's the only one I've ever seen. Do they have more? They've got different flavors. I don't know if they have anything that like they've got like. something else I, I they've, they've got other stuff i've seen yeah. it i just have never been interested in doing it because well why mess with something that's good when it's already good so that's right all right here we go three two one crack and here's oh god that smell is oh that's so good my nose is nowhere <laughs> near it and i could smell apple and i'm like oh thank you I'm actually drinking from an Angry Orchard glass. Nice. Ah. Oh, dude, that's a cool looking glass. Yeah, it's got the tree, like, it's a three-dimensional tree. Can you see yeah. that? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Got it at Goodwill, I'm sure, because <laughs> here, here's how, because we, we went through a thing where my wife brought home uh, beer glasses from Goodwill for like a month, uh, but like Budweiser, Angry Orchard, all sorts of things. Here's how good um, I think Inger Orchard is. I already have two uh, ready to roll. So um, <laughs> I'll crack open the second one here in a little bit. So um, Angry Orchard is 5%. 5% ABV, gluten-free. Yeah, rich white woman. I mean, sorry. <laughs> so when I was um, sneaking, drinking beer, um, this would what? this would have been sneaking. this would have been my favorite uh favorite one to get this is what i got nice. to treat myself like like budweiser was the go-to because that's like because uh, it, it was actually beer but like when i wanted to treat myself this is what i got <laughs> and now i spend 40 dollars on a bottle of whiskey instead so <laughs> now we really know how to treat yourself yes. so um angry orchard i mean we don't really have to drink it i know that it's going to be a five luther thing and it's it's been several months since i've had angry orchard Oh, you're going. Okay. I'm going. It's been a long time since I've had Angry Orchard. Mmm. Now, ooh. You know oh, why yeah. you know why I like this stuff? Because it tastes exactly like apple juice. Yes! It's <laughs> exactly why I like it. It's boozy apple juice. <laughs> but it's barely no. like it's barely. Five percent is not like a high That's true. Like, yeah, you can, it's, you can I drink mean, three it's or four of these and juice. be fine. But I mean it, I don't think I've ever had it out of a glass. It's so good. It, I mean, it tastes it like good. it tastes like Mott's apple juice. Like it tastes like <laughs> which a is it tastes like a juice box is what it tastes like. <laughs> what? So what we need to do is get these put in juice box form and give them to our kids so they can calm down. <laughs> we're not condoning giving your children alcohol. No, we're not. That's terrible. I shouldn't say that. What we should do? Have but, you seen those things? Um, I don't know where you, where you can get them, but they're like basically uh, 
adult Capri Sun pouches. Like you make, you can make your own. Like you put whatever you want into a pouch, and it's like that would be perfect in yeah. like in Ooh. one of those. Yes, it would. So, uh, Angry Orchard. We already talked about. Tastes like apple juice. Really smooth. Yep. Very light. Very crisp. Like tastes like an apple. Um, it's every bit of five Luthers for me, and and it will always be that way. <laughs> I know, like over time, like our tastes have changed a little bit. This is one of the things, like from beginning from the beginning to the end, this will stay the same for us. I, It'll always be, be. I'm going to be a five Luther on the Angry Orchard all day. Long. Well, I'm not a five Luther on the Angry Orchard. I do like it. And it is good, um, but it's not quite five for me. But I'll I'll give it four and a half because it is worth that. It is a I, I just I love apple juice. Um, I think if I were going to uh, start drinking at breakfast one morning, I would probably have one of these with my eggs and grits. <laughs> so if you became a legitimate alcoholic, this, this would be the, this would be the the first the first sign. That's it. The first sign is when I start drinking Angry Orchard for breakfast. That's when you know I'm I'm a legitimate alcoholic. Um, one of the things I like about Angry Orchard, and I'm sure we've talked about it, <clears throat> is how versatile it is. Like it's like at Christmas time, one of my favorite things to do is uh, do Angry, Angry Orchard with Fireball. Ooh, you uh, what you do is you just take like a sip off the take a sip out of the out of the bottle of Angry Orchard, and then just top it off with Fireball. Spin it around a little bit, and then you have yourself like a little Christmassy, nice uh, mixed drink there. So, um, but sounds like Angry Orchard, like even though Guinness came in swinging and gave us its best, um, yeah. Angry Orchard is going to move on to the semifinals of the Beers and Bible Big Box Bonanza Bash of beers, a beer. <laughs> so, which I'll say this. I have been pleasantly surprised two weeks now because Medello was not as good as I thought it had been, mm-hmm. and Guinness was better than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Angry Orchard I knew was good. I knew I liked it, but um, that's that's two weeks of surprises now between Medello and Guinness. Um, you know. Shake, shaking up the brackets a little bit. We we thought we were going to change it up a, a smidgety bit. All right. So next week to tease the matchup for next week, we are going to have uh, just a standard blue moon. We'll be going up against Corona Extra, um, and I don't know how much it matters, <laughs> but um, if you know Michael and I, you know which one is going to win. <laughs> Do we really need to do this matchup? <laughs> we need to. We need to do its due diligence. But Blue Moon yes, versus Corona extra next week, um, and I mean, I'll go ahead and say it now. I don't think Corona extra could beat Blue Moon, even if we did the TikTok drink again. <laughs> no, no, it could not. Oh my gosh! So, if, if if I've talked bad about Guinness, I've talked worse about Corona. But Corona has deserved every bit of nasty talk that I have. Put towards it, so. Well, there, there we go. There we go. Um, there is the second quarterfinal matchup of the beers and Bible big box bonanza bash balooza um, <laughs> bashapalooza <laughs> bashapalooza. Um, and now, after this short break, we're going to dive into uh, week two of our 
study through the books of the Bible. So stick around with us and we will be right back. Welcome back from that incredible musical break. And uh, before we jump into our discussion through the book of Exodus, um, we just wanted to remind you of the RFP Network camp meeting that is coming up. November, it's going to be lit. November 3rd and 4th, uh, 2022. That will be at Hope Church in Danville, Virginia. Um, registration begins on opens up on August 1st and you can follow the uh, recovering fundamentalist podcast on their social network uh, platforms to get all the details for that but it's going to be a good time um, all of the podcasts that are a part of the RFP network will be represented um, Anthony and I intend on being there we're planning on being a part of that and yeah, there'll are. be some really cool things happening um there and uh, we uh, look forward to meeting some of you and and getting to know some of our listeners face to face. So, um, just wanted to plant that bug here and make sure that you guys remember that uh, here in a few weeks there will be a registration opening for that. And uh, again, we look forward to seeing you guys there. So now, let's get into Exodus, Anthony. Boom! Let's get out of here. The Exodus. Let's leave because that's what the Exodus is about. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So <laughs> um, I was. Lo- I looked it up. So Exodus um, is is a mass departure of people. Uh, Google says especially immigrants, mm-hmm. um, and and then they use the the Egyptian Exodus as the departure of the Israelites from ex from Egypt is known as the Exodus. Um, and that is where the book gets its name because it's about the people of Israel basically wandering around for <laughs> 40 years. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, it basically sets up all of that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, what's funny is, is, uh, the actual Exodus is over like, you know, 13, 14 chapters into the book, and, and the book is 40 chapters long. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, well, now that they're out, uh, what are they going to do next? <laughs> and, right. And inevitably, they end up wondering. I love the uh, I love the people who are like screenshot um, Google Maps, and it'll, be, it'll draw a thing from like Egypt to, to Israel, and it's like, if you walked it, it's 10 days. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why did it take them 40 years? <laughs> Well, if you read the book of Exodus, you'll know exactly. You'll why. know exactly why I took them because they like to whine and complain about the food that they had in Egypt that they don't have now, or that's right, whatever. So um, the nasty food, yeah. Um, so so we look at Exodus as a story of Israel leaving Egypt mm-hmm. and the establishment of a covenant people through the law and the tabernacle. Um, this is where we see the law being introduced. 
mm-hmm. uh, for the first time. Uh, you know, we had sort of precursors to the law as far as God telling Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but this is like the this is in Exodus is the first time that we're going to see legitimate like written down laws yeah. given to God's people with the intent of them following those laws. Yes. So, and it's important to remember that the law is intended as a covenant with the people. Mm-hmm. And there are rules or there are consequences for keeping the law and there are consequences for breaking the law. Yeah. And so, you know, and and God lays that out later in the book of Leviticus which we're going to cover later. Um but uh but yeah. So the time frame of Exodus kind of runs it really runs from the death of Joseph. Um at the end of Genesis you have Joseph doing the blessings on his children and grandchildren. Um they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh and then that you from the end of Genesis really to the beginning of of uh Exodus is a time period of of almost 3 to 400 years. Oh wow, okay. So because you got I mean you got to think the introduction of Exodus is Moses. And Moses is the one who leads them out and they were in slavery to Egypt for 400 years. And so there is a, a long time frame, and so you run from like 1600 years BC up to like maybe 1200, 1220 years for the whole entire book of Exodus, them wandering around and all that kind of stuff, um, up to Mount Sinai. And and so the book covers, really it covers about a 400-year period, but you really only hear maybe of about 80, 80 or so years of it because it's, it's kind of like the life of Moses. Mm-hmm. Moses, you don't have the death of Moses recorded until the end of Deuteronomy, um, but you also have the promise that uh, God is not going to allow Moses to enter into the promised land. He he has to wait for an entire generation to die, which is why they wandered for 40 years, because God said, I'm not going to let you into the promised land until mm-hmm. you until this generation has died off. So, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have that that kind of that puts us in a time frame of of what we're talking about, and then you have this theme in Moses, which is God's deliverance from Egypt through miracles, uh, revelation, and then the revealing of Himself through the law. Mm-hmm. Um, he establishes the beginnings of the sacrificial system. Um, you don't have it really written down like you do in Leviticus um, here. But you do have that because the establishment of the tabernacle, the tabernacle is where they would have gone to to worship, and that's mm-hmm. where they would have gone to do their sacrifices and the priests, and they had, um, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but you have the beginnings of the implementation of the sacrificial system, which, again, even that is a, uh, a precursor to the person work of Jesus, who is our sacrifice, and that's, you know, that's why, as, as believers, we hold to the penal substitutionary atonement. There are different theories on the atonement, but but I personally hold to the penal substitutionary atonement because I believe it is the most encompassing theory of atonement that is out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, you know, you have like the blood blood atonement, uh, which says that everything's in the blood of Christ. I I think that's like that's like you have a a, a 
wonderful key lime pie. And what you did is you cut one slice of it out. And that, that that's kind of like talking about like the blood atonement is you're talking about one aspect of what the atonement is. The atonement is this huge overarching thing, kind of like the meta narrative of scripture that covers and says, this is what it means to be covered by the blood. You have a substitute who gave its blood, who is the sacrifice, who, and, and a lot of that imagery is drawn from the book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. You get that in that sacrificial system when you start talking about the Passover. Um, I could I could probably go for a couple of hours on, on Jesus and the Passover and the parallels um, there. Crazy, crazy stuff that, that that you're like, oh my goodness, this is this is insane. But um just when you when you think about scripture, remember we're building on each week. We're building on God is revealing more and more about himself and he is doing this for the purposes of establishing his people mm-hmm. for his glory yeah. uh, to tell his story. That's, yeah. you know, we're continuing in the story. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of the data that gets us oriented into the book of Exodus. So let's do a quick overview of the different parts of Exodus. Okay, so really quickly, um, so we've got about six different breakdowns here. Um, chapters one through four are going to be about the enslavement of Israel and the birth of Moses. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, chapter six through fifteen; those are going to be the Exodus of Egypt, um, the people of God leaving Egypt, and then. Mm-hmm. The Red Sea. Uh, the Red Sea and all that stuff, yeah. Um, then we get into chapters 16 through 24. Um, that's the road to Sinai and the giving of the law. Um, chapters 25 through 31, we have the institution of the, um, or the establishment of the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in uh, right. chapters 32 through 34, there are new tablets introduced to the people of God. And then um, the last five or six chapters of Exodus we're going back to the tabernacle. Yeah, um, there are there are a lot of scholars who who suggest that like really from twenty five to forty, the focus is is really kind of strictly the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Um, the the kind of break, I guess you could say, from thirty two to thirty four, where you talk about the new tablets and and you know if if you've read Exodus or you're familiar with the story. Moses comes down after being on Mount Sinai. He's got the glory. He's glowing with the glory of God. The people, because he was up there for like 40 days, are like, we don't know what to do because there's no leader, so we're going to make a cow out of gold, and mm-hmm. we're going to worship that. Uh, you know. And, and his brother Aaron's kind of like spearheading this whole thing, and then Moses comes down, he gets angry and crushes the tablets that had the Ten Commandments on it mm-hmm. has to go back and get another set. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that would be that'd be like opening an iPad and then like somebody taking it and just throwing it on the floor and breaking it. And then you having to go back and get some get another one. <laughs> so about the warranty on these tablets. Uh <laughs> I did not get the extended warranty that covers me breaking them. <laughs> So, 
about that. <laughs> so we're going to need to do this over again. Can we do that? Is that cool? What? Okay, so okay, let's talk about this for a second, though. All right. <laughs> we've, we've talked in, in the past, we've talked about like the omniscience and the omnipotence of God. Like when he mm-hmm. hands, <clears throat> when he gives um, Moses the first, the tablets, the first, the first set, mm-hmm. he knows Moses is going to break them. Yeah. That's like giving your kid like a cup without a lid for the first time, knowing they're gonna spill it all over whatever. <laughs> like, and God's—I I just picture like God sitting at, at the top of the mountain, just waiting for Moses to come back. Like, yep, he, he here he comes. <laughs> hey Moses, you need new, you need new tablets, don't you? <laughs> that, that's kind of—I don't know. So, all right, so. We talked about the, there's the overview of uh, Exodus. Um, now that we've you know we've been through that, um, so really you can break down Exodus into three themes. Um, mm-hmm. You have God's miraculous deliverance. You have God's distinguishing presence, and then you have God's covenant through the law. So yeah. let's talk about each of these for a few minutes and just um, just break them down a little bit. Yeah, so um, I mean, really, the whole first section of of uh, Exodus is the miraculous deliverance. Um, start with um, the promises that he gives to Moses. You know, you have you have the introduction, of Moses. You have the story of Moses. Moses grows up in Egypt. Um, he's raised by an Egyptian uh, daughter. Knows he's a Hebrew. You know. It, it, it's always interesting to me that Moses is raised in Egypt, but he knows he's a Hebrew. I mean, it's if there was ever a time when you could have indoctrinated somebody into your worldview or something like that, like Egypt had the opportunity, mm-hmm. um, but oh, God yeah. didn't. God didn't allow it. Yeah, it's it, like know? if Egypt could have just raised him as an Egyptian and yeah. told him he was an Egyptian. Like, how did he know he was a Hebrew? They, I mean, they told him. They told stupid Egyptians. <laughs> they probably regretted that later in life. You but. and you and your fancy pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> so you have in in Exodus chapter six, God gives uh, some very specific um, promises, mm-hmm. things that He's going to do, and and these are repeated in the Passover. Um, and there, I mean, it's a it's a remembrance thing for them, but. Um, in six verses, like six through eight, he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Uh, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And then he says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham. So Mm -hmm. these promises are a continuation of the original Abrahamic covenant from Genesis, um, they would have known this. This is this is an oral tradition that was passed down, and you know, just kind of on while we're on the subject right here of oral tradition, you can't think of oral tradition the way that 21st century Americans think of oral tradition. Um, you know, I, I'm sure when you were in youth group or whatever, you always played the game of telephone, mm-hmm. and and it starts off like you know, Johnny kissed Sally on the cheek, and then when you get to the end of it, it's like Johnny kissed a dog and the dog licked his ear and it was great. And Johnny loved, and you're like, what in the world? (laughs) You know, 
And so you you come up with the conclusion that you can't trust oral tradition. That's that's kind of it's built into our Americanized culture. Mm-hmm. And it was completely different in this culture in in ancient Near East culture in this time because this was the only way that they had to transmit their history was through oral tradition. Yeah. And so oral tradition to them is like you and me learning how to read and write in a, in school today. That That's how important it was to them. And that's how important it was that they got it exactly right. Right. So mm. when, when we talk about they would have known these things, yes, Everybody would have known these things, and they would have known exactly what they were talk, what God was talking about when He says, "I will deliver you from the burdens of the Egyptians," all the way down to, "I will bring you to the land that I swore to Abraham." Everybody would have known that. Yeah. Um, and so, so those promises lead into the ten plagues. Yeah. It, which we we all know. Yeah, and and these ten plagues, I, I've I've heard it taught, and I think. You've probably heard it taught that they are like direct assaults on the gods of Egypt. Like, oh yeah, they like, absolutely like are. Egypt was a um, uh, oh gosh, polytheistic mm-hmm. uh, culture. They like everything had a god, and and when you look at the plagues that lead to Pharaoh releasing God's people from slavery, mm-hmm. each one of those is an assault on. On the gods that they worship, you had yeah. Um, the water turning to blood was a direct assault on the water bearer god. Um, mm-hmm. Frogs coming from the Nile River is an assault on um, this goddess who had the head of a frog. Like, like, like yeah. each one had a specific. <laughs> like, you can look it up. That each one has a very specific. Like, it's almost like God's toying with with Egypt. Like bringing all these plagues and the pharaoh sitting there going uh he's like directly challenging each of our gods yeah or mocking or or just outright mocking them i say it was it was more like mocking than it was challenging it was a because the the funny thing is that um so let let's just mention all right so the god of the frogs or i've I used to know the names of all of these, but I have since forgotten. Um, but the frogs, what what happens is these frogs come into the land, and the people of Egypt are like praying, praying, God, you know, oh, whatever, God, you've got to get rid of these frogs. I can't believe these frogs are here, and, and why is this happening, and nothing happens, and nothing mm-hmm. happens. And then Moses steps in and prays to the God, mm-hmm. Elohim, Yahweh, and he says... You know, basically, frogs be gone and the frogs leave, and everybody's everybody in Egypt is just sitting there like, uh, what just happened? Right. Because that dude prayed and the frogs went away. We prayed to the god of these frogs, what they believed was the god of these mm-hmm. frogs, and nothing happened. Yeah. And so it was it was an absolute mockery, and it was a direct assault on the legitimacy of Egyptian gods. Yeah. And it would have been seen that way by Egyptians. I just don't know, like, I don't know how they could go through all of that. In each of these plagues, they and if there's a similar result, Moses praying to Yahweh and the plagues ceasing or, or mm-hmm. you know, coming to an end, however you want to put it, like, how could they not look over at Moses and be like, okay, 
tell me about your God because he's obviously the God of our God. Like, like, yeah, he's the God of all. So yeah, it, it's, it's really confusing how they could even continue to can worship those mm-hmm. false gods when Moses is obviously praying in, uh, Praying to the God that has control over all. I don't know. Yeah, it's it 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 sounds far fetched. Um, oh, it sounds like I, a sci fi movie. It does. It does. But how many times do we do that with things in our own life? Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's this word called total depravity. <laughs> Easy there, <And> Calvinist. It, <laughs> <laughs> you get out of here with your Calvinism, you jerk. So, so you've got the plagues. Um, this is direct assault onto Egypt, mm-hmm. and then the the final one is um, the the killing of the firstborn, and that's when Mo, uh, the Pharaoh says, you know, basically get out of here, leave. Yeah, and then they leave, and then as they're leaving, he's like, "Oh no, what have I done? Uh, go, everybody, go catch him quick. <laughs> we let all our slaves go." Right, uh, and so they chase him into the Red Sea, and then uh, Pharaoh's army, the deliverance through the Red Sea. So um, that kind of solidifies the miracles that God has delivered them through. And you know, think back to the promises that He gave them in 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 chapter six: "I will deliver you out of slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm." Think about what redeeming means. And the concept of baptism mm-hmm. going into the water and coming out of the water mm. and the Red Sea. And I'll just let you wander on that one for a little while. Um, but then they get into the wilderness and then God starts doing things like providing them food that comes down from heaven at night while they're sleeping. Yeah. It, <laughs> how I, I realize that I'm just as wretched and terrible as most of these Israelites, but... Jiminy Christmas! If I woke up in the morning and there was food sitting on the, you know, ground outside, and I could just walk out there and eat it, I'd be like, "Okay, I'm you got me convinced. I'm good. I don't need any more. I don't need anything else." Is there anything in Scripture? This this is maybe just my like my lack of knowledge of Scripture show coming out or whatever. It's like, is there anything in Scripture that says like there were some that were like some in the group? that were more like, hey, God's God's doing everything he's saying he's said he's gonna do. Like or was it like the whole nation of Israel was basically whining and complaining about God Manna. continuing to provide for yeah. their needs because they had it, you know because they, they they were basically saying like we had it better when we were slaves. Yeah. It doesn't really differentiate, and and I I think that's on purpose, because I think it gets to the root of our nature, mm. which you know, which I would say is is total depravity. The yeah. nature of man is to be selfish, to be self centered, to be focused on me. Yeah, and we need a heart change. We need a complete change, a radical change in our depravity to to give us a right understanding and a right view of God. Yeah. And so, you know, and I think that's where faith comes in and faith is a gift and all that. But, you know, it's it's interesting to me <clears throat> that it, it really always talks about Israel as a whole. Um, 
I can't off the top of my head. There may be there may be some places where it singles out individual people, but when it's talking about the people of God, it really talks about Israel as a whole, and it always refers to Israel as a whole. And so it's like this one thing. This this one thing. Yes, it's made up of individuals, but it's a it is a corporate thing for sure. Um. So, I mean, the next question is like, again, I'm not as knowledgeable, so that's this is where these <laughs> questions are coming from. So, you think Moses was part of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like Moses, you know, Moses was part of the problem with. Um, I, I think Moses Moses's failure of leadership sometimes. You mm. know, it's Moses is a leader, and and sometimes he get things right, and sometimes he doesn't get things right. And right, um, I think it all goes back to our fallen nature. You know, even if God works in our lives, and and that's the process of sanctification. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't get it right. But the the point or the purpose is that we are continuing to learn, we're continuing to grow, we're continuing to see what God is doing in our lives and say, I need to fix this, I need to fix that. They eventually get it figured out and get into the promised land. Hmm. Joshua takes them into the promised land. And so, you know, Israel is not this, you know, never does anything right nation. They definitely do a lot of wrong, but they definitely do some right as well. And so, and and it's there's times when uh, you know they're they're blessed with godly kings and they they do the right things and they serve the Lord and they you know do what the law commands them to do. And so there there are times when that happens. And just in our lives, there's there's times when I feel like I you know I can say, man, this this time of reading in scripture or these days when I was reading this, this was just, it was, it hit me in the right spot. And I can say that's God using that to teach me something. There's other days where I open up and I'm like, I do not care that they numbered 642,000. And here's the breakdown of all the tribes and here's all the people and here's their names and here's their children. And here's their children's children. And it's like, there's days where I'm like, I, that doesn't, that does not do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it's still part of scripture and it should still affect me the same way that reading Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians should do. Right. So I don't know that, that may have been a little diatribe there. All right. So we've discussed God's miraculous deliverance. Let's move on to, um, God's distinguishing presence. Um, this is where we have the instructions of the tabernacle, um, which really sets the stage for the regulations on worship that are mm-hmm. coming, um, more so in the book of Leviticus. Yes, yes, and you know the the word tabernacle in the Old Testament it, it means to dwell with, and and when you translate it, when you get it into the New Testament, it says. Um, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men. That's that mm. the word in the New Testament is the exact same word as tabernacled in the Old Testament. So when you think about John 1.14, think about and the word became flesh and tabernacled with his people. Uh, and and that's you know mm. the story of the of the gospels. That's the story of Jesus. He's coming to the earth and he is the embodiment of the Old Testament tabernacle. 
He is the presence of God. That's what the tabernacle was. It was a place where the presence of God was to be uh, kept, guarded. Um, and if you read Exodus, starting chapter 21, I think, somewhere around there, 20, 21. 20 is the, is the Ten Commandments for sure, but 21 on into 25, 30, you end up with these crazy like detailed instructions about how to build the tabernacle where to set it up how to set it up the way you you know the poles you should use and and the types of uh elements that you should use and and there there's so much knowledge to be gained from a study of the tabernacle um that i would suggest it to anybody you know going from the holy of holies all the way out to the outer courts all of it has meaning all of it has application to Christians today, and it's the way that Jewish people in that time would have understood it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, do do a dive into that, but the kind of overarching point of the tabernacle was it was the place where God came and dwelt with his people on the earth. Mm-hmm. And so in the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle. Well, the fulfillment of that is in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so... Christ has come and he's dwelt with us, and he has done the work that the tabernacle could not complete. You know, you had to continually offer sacrifices at the tabernacle mm-hmm. or later in the Old Testament at the, you know, um, at the synagogue. And in the Old Testament, that was a repetitive process. Well, in the New Testament, we say that Christ died once for all. Right. Because the work is finished at that point. Mm-hmm. And so there's no reason to have this old tabernacle, but we can still appreciate what the tabernacle brings to us. Mm. You know, the what the way it represents Christ in the Old Testament. Everything yeah. in the Old Testament points to the New Testament, and everything in the New Testament points back to the Old Testament in some way. Yeah. So it's I think it's important to remember that. Yeah. Um, so that's God's distinguishing presence. And then... Um, that little section in between the Exodus and the tabernacle is the the law, the giving of the law. And this is really, like you said earlier, this is the first time that God writes down words to his people. I mean, it's written down word to his people. Really everything had been audible before this. Um, In Genesis, you know, he tells Noah to build the ark. He Mm -hmm. tells Abraham to go up on the mountain and worship. He, all of it is is audible in the New Testament or in the in Genesis, and then in Exodus, you have the first time that God has written down His law. Yeah, and, um, and he literally writes it in stone. Yes, like he like it's yeah. he, he sets it in stone what the law is, um, and expects the people of Israel to to follow it, and they fail spectacularly, miserably. <laughs> um, but I think, but we all do. We 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 fail to keep the law. Every single day, which, I mean, that's why we need Jesus, so. That's right. That's right. So, the the giving of the law is a covenant. We've already talked about that a little bit, and and you can see that covenant in chapters 21 through 24. Um, And so, the law comes, and and something that that Fee and, um, I just forgot the other guy's name, Gordon. Gordon and Fee brought out. Um, no, it was Gordon. I don't know. I don't have the book right here in my hand. So, um, but they brought, they brought out this concept of suzerainty treaties. And I thought that was really interesting because 
I don't know a ton about them, but I know that basically what they did is they established it's very, very similar to a covenant. It's not exactly like a covenant, but it's very, very similar. And what it does is it defines the role of the basically the owner and the slave. And, and a lot of times they were between owners and slaves. But it defines what the owner is going to give to the slave, which is usually things like protection and housing and, and certain things like that. Um, and then the slave, in response, is going to provide, you know, work around the house or they're going to do something. And, and it was this mutual kind of back and forth, I guess, if you mm-hmm. will, um, where everybody understood the role. And, and that was kind of the precedent. That was the precedent behind the Ten Commandments is, is it say, go back to those promises in, in Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to do all these things, and as a as your God, and because I've taken you as my people, you're going to do these things for me. Uh, or these mm. are this is what I expect from you. This is the this is how you uphold your end of the bargain. Mm. And so um, that's what you see when we have the the covenant given through the law. We have the law written down um, on the stone tablets, and so those three kind of defining themes of Exodus should carry us all the way through from the beginning of Moses' story all the way through to the end uh, and, and the tabernacle and how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to worship. And then that's going to lead us into uh, Leviticus, which is going to be the actual written down, you know, expansive law more than just the the 10 words or, mm-hmm. or the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, however you yeah. want to call it. So, um that's going to be the continuation of that that we're going to get into next week. But uh, let's walk through. We, we've kind of hit the high points of, of Exodus. Hopefully, we've given you a good framework to read the book of Exodus, uh, how to see the book of Exodus. And so let's just let's wrap it up and do a, a walk through. What are the, the chapters, the divisions? How are we going to break down the book of Exodus? Yeah, so the uh, first... Uh, two chapters, chapters one and two, are going to be the setting, which is the growth and oppression of Israel in Egypt, uh, held in captivity and slaves in Egypt. Um, and then uh, the beginning of chapter three through uh, chapter s- uh, part of chapter six, we're going to have the calling commission of Moses. He's going to be called out of his um, posh Egyptian um, position. Yep. And return to his Hebrew people and be a spokesperson for the nation of Israel to get them out of slavery. Um, and then the rest of chapter 6 through um, basically the middle of chapter 15 is going to be the miraculous deliverance from bondage. Um, this is where we have the plagues, where we have the um, journey through the Red Sea, um, uh, Moses pleading with Pharaoh to let his people go and Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Let um, my people go. Uh, <laughs> scripture says several times that God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he yep. would not let the people go. Um, which There's is a debate a, to be had there. There is, but we don't have time for it. Um, so after, after we get through the deliverance from bondage, uh, we get the journey to Mount Sinai in uh, chapter, the rest of chapter 15 and then through for chapter 18. Um, we have the covenant at Sinai. This is where we get uh, the, the written law in, in the book of the covenant. Um, that goes through chapter 24. Um, then we get the 
instructions regarding the tabernacle, how it's to be built, where it's to be built, uh, what it's to be built out of, all the dimensions, all the we get all of that um, in uh, chapter 24 through 31. And then uh, the next few chapters, we get some rebellion, some covenant breaking, uh, and then covenant renewal. Um, and then the people of Israel build the tabernacle. Um, they furnish it. They get it ready to uh, basically welcome the presence of God. Um, and then the last chapter of Exodus is where the tabernacle is complete, set up, and the glory descends on the tabernacle and... Um, and it's a good day in the wilderness. It's a good day in the wilderness. Yep. I didn't know how to finish that whole rundown. <laughs> I got to the end. And I was like, I don't know what to say. So it's a good day in the wilderness. You know, um, something that's interesting as we as we talk about the wilderness, and I think it's a great place to stick this. Um, you know, the the wilderness is often called God's territory. That's where God dwells mm. in the wilderness, and. As Christians, that should be probably one of the most encouraging things that we can hear, because especially in today's culture, um, Christians are being, they're being pushed to the margins. They're being pushed to the sidelines, mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it's not something that we should be outraged about. Um, I think we can still speak truth to love, and we can still say, this is what you're doing. You're pushing me to the margins, and, and we can call a spade a spade, yeah. but Let's remember that God is is in the wilderness. It, he's he doesn't cease to be in the wilderness. He doesn't have to be in political power. He doesn't have to be in the elite status, and uh, we don't have to be there either. Yeah. And and so you know the book of Exodus is an encouragement and a reminder that God is the God of the wilderness, mm. and He will be with you. He will walk beside you. And he will bring you into glorification, which is, you know, we've talked about it plenty of times here. We've got justification, sanctification, and glorification. He will bring you from your justification, from being declared righteous all the way through your sanctification, where you learn to grow in him and who he is and what he's going to teach you. And then that will lead to your glorification, which is where you get to stand before him face to face and worship him in all of the splendor and all the glory of his majesty. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think that's what the book of Exodus really sets up is to be able to see that uh, and, and see that in a much bigger picture than, than what we're used to in, you know, 2000 years or more removed from the Bible, from, from Exodus. Yeah. So... But there you go. There is uh, there's your overview of the book of Exodus. Hope that was helpful. Um, I hope that it encourages you to read. We want to. I hope you're reading. You know, maybe beforehand, or or you're reading as as you listen to these. And so uh, take that and and read through the book of Exodus. It's a it's a magnificent story of God working in His people that He chose. Um, and and yeah, there we go. It's a good Shall word. I pray for us? Yeah, go for it. Go ahead. I'll do that. God, we thank you for this time that we can come and we can discuss your word. We thank you for what your word teaches us. God, that even in the midst of the wilderness, uh, that you are there, that you are the provider. Um, you bring down manna from heaven. 
God, that you are the provider in all of our obstacles. Uh, no matter what we face, God, you are the one who can walk us through that. And you are the one who can take us through that. Just like you took the nation of Israel, your people, mm-hmm. from bondage into sla- in slavery all the way through uh, perilous things. God, things, things that we couldn't even imagine today. But God, your hand was steady, your hand was firm, and your hand was consistent because it was what you had planned and predestined before the foundations of the world. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the story that Exodus tells us that we can apply to our lives, God, that we can see Christ in every part of Exodus through the Passover or or through baptism or through uh, Moses bringing the people out, God. We thank you for uh, beginning that story through different people and 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 telling us that story over and over and over again so that we can see it and we can remember it and we can know it that Jesus Christ is the the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. And so we can rejoice in that because he is our high priest. He stands before us and he goes after us. And we thank you for the salvation that we have in his name. And so God, as we uh, continue on, I pray that you would just continue to teach us something from your word, teach us the things from your word that we can apply to our lives, that we can be better representatives of Christ to the world who is around us. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Michael, if they want to reach us on social media platforms, where would they do that? You can find the Beers and Bible podcast on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore. You can find us on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Beers and Bible podcast. And then you can also email us. Uh, we are at beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you on any or all of those platforms. If you have any questions or anything you'd like for us to um, you know, have a discussion directly with you about or something for a future episode of the podcast, um, we're in this series for a while, so it may be a long time before we get to it, <laughs> but we will definitely keep that in mind and um, we'd love to hear from you guys. We've had some interactions we've gotten a few emails um in the past week from a relatively new new listener so that's yep. encouraging and, and cool to uh to see and, and interact with so uh, we definitely welcome any and all of those kind of interactions yes well until next week i hope that your beer stays cold your bible stays open and we will see you later Peace out.